Romans 8 and look towards the end of Romans 8. We're going to look at verses 33 and 34. I invite you also, if you have one of these based there, but it will help you follow along a little bit of what I want to share this morning, or it will help you in small group. If you discuss it or discuss as a family, it may use, you can use this as something that will help you in your discussion with your family, your kids, your spouse. And we know that for those who love God, he works all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, born among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also He called, it's a special calling because everyone he called in this way, he also justified. And everyone that was predestined, called, and justified, he glorified and will glorify. So Paul can't help himself and he has to say, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, We'll, we'll do that again. If God is for us, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Or you could, or you could ask it almost like a question. Isn't it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised and is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us. Do do you need a, a better description of God is for us, then he gave his son, he died, he was rose, he's at the right hand, he's praying for us. Here's a, a cross. I think Ginger, did you, is Ginger here? She was. I think Ginger gave, did you give that to me? Yeah. And uh, I, I was pulling this, this is in my office, and I, here's a cross, we're familiar with crosses. Now, I'm going to turn it sideways, and I want, it's still a cross. If you don't see this end, it's, it's a cross. But I want you to think in terms of something I said last Sunday. Imagine your life as from here is when you were born, and here is when you're going to die, or your, your life on this earth ends. And I'm going to call it phase two. This is phase one. Phase two of your life is from here, and let's make, sure, make believe this is to scale. This is your life, and so Grandpa, Grandma, Monday, Gordon, and Dorothy celebrated 70-year anniversary this week. That's, they're in their 90s. That's, that deserves a two-week-in-a-row clap. Um, <laughs> 
So, but imagine, imagine God gave you as long as 90 to live. I mean, that's not normal. Uh, and so, but that's 90 years right here. And now let's just take this and this line goes Fenton, Philadelphia, Paris. And well, I guess it's going to have to start cir- circling, circling the earth. And it goes on forever. Phase one, your life, if you had a long life, 90 years, is just this compared to forever, phase two. Someday we're going to die or crises are going to turn and God has appointed his son in which he's going to judge the earth and is going to be appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And that judgment is going to determine whether this, on this side of this cross, will be everlasting life, joy, pleasure. We would say pleasure in the presence of God who in this life we are starting to enjoy, starting to delight in. Or everlasting punishment. Separation from the only source of any true pleasure, any true joy, any true life, any true light. The maker of our world, the maker of our souls, God. There's going to be a judgment. And so... Our being ready for anything that matters more to you, not just your kids, but to you and to your kids and grandkids or your parents or your sibling or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your classmates or your neighbor. And whether you're ready for that judgment infinitely matters more than anything else. Thankfully, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings us to a place where you and I can be at a place where we can, living in phase one, look to the end of phase one, death, Christ's return, the judgment, And go, I know that I am ready to face that judgment. And if the accusations and charges come against me between in this phase one, in my conscience, or by the accuser Satan, or any enemy, or even I just start wondering and guessing, am I really a child of God? I am going to build this phase in being so anchored in this truth so in this life I can live in an assurance and a confidence. I want to ask you this morning, have you assurance of your salvation? Do you know truly 
fully, I mean know that if you were to die today or you were to face God's judgment today, that you're ready. God's word helps us get ready, live ready, trust and be ready. Four individuals are going to get baptized in just a few minutes. And I pray that Barnabas and Trinity and Kendra and Avery, Ava, when they get baptized, and there's going to be several more in the coming month, not just kids, but adults, that you, when you think about, I'm ready for the judgment, you won't go. It's because I prayed a little prayer. I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus in my heart. I wrote it in my Bible. Or a pastor gave me a baptism certificate. Or even I was in a baptism tank and I got dunked under the water and I came up. That's why I know I'm ready. All of those things are means to helping us point to a greater truth found in this word called the gospel. I want, to pon- I want you to ponder two verses this morning that God, through the Apostle Paul, gave to us, as one author says, in order to arm us, the believer, from, as we would say, from the foot to the head, with a type of armor against all anxiety and fears, against the greatest danger possible, and not being ready when we face our judge. And he says, why should I, why should I not condemn you in your guilt and punish you with hell and instead enter into the joy of my fellowship forever, my son or my daughter? Look at verse 33. It's as though Paul is bringing up potential arguments in the question, is God for me? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Now, what the Apostle Paul is doing in these two verses, he poses two questions at the beginning of each verse, and I believe those, both of those questions are meant to get the gist of the same thing. And Paul gives two layers of answers to those potential threats or questions. Do you see? And so here's two aspects of these two verses this morning. First is the threat to the gospel confidence and assurance. What's the threat? Condemnation or bringing an accusation. See, verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Paul says, who's going to bring a charge against you? This is the idea of coming into court as, as someone that's in question, and an accuser comes and says, he did this. He's guilty. He, he deserves condemnation. The word condemnation means to be righteously declared guilty and then be sentenced with a punishment. And so Paul asks the second question in verse 34, who is to condemn? 
Now, just like when Paul said in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He isn't saying, if God is for us, then of course no one is against us. Because he's going to say, you're going to be slaughtered. You're going to be killed all the day long. You're going to be like sheep to be slaughtered if you keep reading through the end of the chapter. In fact, God's people, as they walk the Christian life, might be persecuted. They might endure all these trials in life and sufferings, crosses, and losses. You're going to have people against you. His point is, but no one will ultimately be successful being against you because they will never, verse 35, separate you from my love because my love and my grace extends beyond phase one of your life. Phase one is preparation. Phase two is glory forever. And so God loves us too much for us to just leave us in phase one only. He brings us into everlasting joy. No one will be able to separate. God is for you, so no one will be against you and keeping you from that. And what he's saying here, yeah, you're going to have charges against you. You're going you're to face people that want to condemn you or enemies that condemn you. How many of you I'm not going to even ask you to raise your hand. Ever doubt whether you're saved? You doubt, you, you can't, you, you say at times, I'm just not sure I'm saved. If I die today, there's still that pang of, I'm a little worried. If I really am saved, or did it really take, when I, when I prayed with that, Pastor, when I prayed with my parents, or when I, when, I gave, when I surrendered to Christ that led to baptism in my life, was I genuine? Some of you might be in another place. You might say, man, I, I know I was saved, and I know I'm going to go to heaven. And I even, I even want God, but boy, I feel like God's against me. I don't feel God loves me. I feel, okay, I know this is not a technical difference, but it feels like, okay, I know with my head God loves me. He gave, and the way things are going on in my life, it feels like God doesn't like me. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news of what God has done through Jesus and will do in these verses that I, I quoted to you at the beginning of this passage of bringing us all the way to glory and making us like to his son and to work all things together for good is meant to bring you from a stage of doubting God's goodness and love and even doubting whether he will save you in the end and you'll endure the charges that are, are waved against you. Are you really God's child? These verses are meant for you. They are meant to be like smelling salt to wake you up out of this doubt and to be alive and say, yes, I am redeemed. I am justified. He loves me. He gave himself for me. He's for me. No charge against me. Why? Because in this, these two verses answer that. I'm not going to say too much more than this, but I want to say to you, 
in this life, in phase one of this life until you die, there will be accusations charged against you. And you may feel like, am I really God's child? Could he have really saved me as bad as I know I am as a sinner? So who could condemn you? Well, the law of God could condemn you. In fact, if you read Romans, and I hope you're reading in Romans, in Romans 1, 2, and 3, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and you are under the wrath of God. And so God's law says you're a lawbreaker. The moment you disobey God even one time, either in doing what he told you not to do or not doing what he told you to do, he told you to love him with all your heart, and every moment you're not loving him with all your heart, you're a lawbreaker. And you're condemned. There's an accusation. And your conscience. I know that some of you are thinking, man, pastor, you don't know my past. I got some troubles. And even though I know God is big and his mercy is great, I, it's, it really takes a lot to think that he could forgive that. And... There's this enemy called Satan who is spoken of in Ephesians chapter 6 and 1 Peter chapter 4 and 5, is seen in the Gospels, is called the accuser of the believers in Revelation, and he wants to make your life as miserable as possible if he cannot you doubt and strip you of joyful gospel assurance. And this passage is going to say, there's a threat, but the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that we're going to see symbolized when these four go underwater, symbolizing death, namely Jesus died and was buried, and he rose and came alive, and he is now doing something for us that we might live new. I, I pray that we as a church family will go through life hating sin more, even knowing how much of a sinners we are, but at the same time clinging to the truths of Romans 8 and saying, he's for me, he loves me, he gave himself for me. I am assured, I am assured that he is my father and Jesus is my savior and my brother and I love him. And it doesn't make me want to just like relax in a sense of I can just do whatever I want for the rest of my life. How could I ever think that way? He loves me, and so I want to give myself to him forever. God forbid that I would just sin, that grace would be abound. I, I died with him, and now I want to live a new life. I pray that we would have a confidence to fight the Christian life, the fight of faith in a type of knowing we are loved, with a breath of fresh air, a relief that says, he loves me, and he gave himself for me. Okay, so just two, two things that I want to anchor you to gospel assurance. The first is, and they're both in the second halves of verse 33 and the second half of thir verse 34. First, the, the, so the first is, Really, it's the triumph of gospel confidence and assurance. And it's answering the question, how can I be assured of God's favor towards me now and forever? And it's the gospel. And it's in two ways. One, 
God, your Father, loves you. See that in verse 33. What does he say? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So the answer number one is God went after me and justified me when I was condemned. If you're wondering today and doubting whether God loves you and whether you are his child, now I'm and are truly his children and God has started to do a work in your life, this is a promise to you. God went after you and he justified you even when you were condemned. Now, I know that there are some in this room probably that that does not count for you yet. And I plead with you that today, we've prayed that even today that God in his mercy would be working in you and you'll go, this is what I needed to hear. I need to be saved. I need to recognize that I am a sinner. I knew that, but I am a sinner and I can't pay for my sin and I need somebody else to pay for my sin. And the only person that could pay for my sin is God, the righteous judge, and he provided that way by sending his son Jesus. When he died on the cross, he took on my punishment. I don't understand how that works, but he said it does, and I receive him because I see him in a new way, and I want to follow him and live for him, and I want to trust him. If you're in that place, I pray that you will receive him today. And if you don't receive him today, it'll be very soon, and you will talk to someone in this church that you know already knows about these things and say, I want to know what it's like to have a real relationship with God and to know that I'm his son or daughter and that I'm saved. But to those that are believers, I want you to know this. God went after you, and he justified you when you were condemned. Don't miss this phrase when he says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's an interesting way of talking, isn't it? He didn't say, who shall bring any charge against those who have called on the name of the Lord? He didn't say that. And he didn't say, those who are saved. He could have said that, and he means that. But he chose to use these two words, God's elect. If you have called on the name of the Lord and be saved, if he has come into your heart, if you believe upon him unto salvation, you are God's elect. And God so inspired these writers to say, I want you to know that. And you say, what does elect, God's elect mean? Well, we read in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 10, that God to the believer chose us before the foundation of the world in order to save us and make us holy. It says, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons or daughters, spiritual sons or daughters adopted. In love he predestined us. This means that in love, if you're saved, he chose you and loved you and put his gaze upon you and called you to himself and said, I will not stop loving you until you surrender your sin to me, you repent, and you turn to me, and I will not let you go until you turn to me. 
That is the theology of Paul. That is the theology of the New Testament. And that is the theology of God's word, of God's people, in which he comes and he takes what is worthless and small and insignificant, and he puts his gaze and love upon them, just like he did in the Old Testament with Israel, to anyone, and he says, I'm going to save you. And people will say, why did you save him? Because of grace. Well, what's the merit of grace? Well, that's the point of grace. It's not by merit. God didn't look at me, I'm saved. And he didn't look and say, I know that Daniel, when he is 12 years old, will be so wise to choose me. Did I choose him? Yes. And I know that Daniel will be so knowledgeable and smart. And he got really lucky because he got godly parents who shared the gospel with him. And in that luck, he's actually going to choose me and save and re-repent. Boy, good job, Daniel, for choosing me. No. God came into my life and his mercy, he gave me the Christian parents he gave me. Not everybody has Christian parents and he mercifully saves them in different ways. But he came into my life and he came into your life through my gaze upon you and I'm going to work in you and I'm going to influence and I'm going to come and I'm going to bring and at some moment I'm going to say life and and. Your eyes will be open, and you'll believe, and you'll see me for a new way, and you'll have a new will and a new desire, and you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And did you choose me? Yes, but it's because I chose you first, and I, I drew you to myself, John chapter 6 says. This passage says to us with great gospel assurance, I love you. I went after you. And when you were a condemned sinner, I justified you. If we were to read Romans chapter 3, in Romans chapter 4, it says, Romans 4, 5, salvation is not to the one who does work, but it believes in him who justifies the ungodly. To, uh, to justify someone, it says, God is the one who justifies if you want to go on and live to phase two, enjoy. If you want to, in phase one, be in God, in Christ. And if you want to someday face that judgment when the judge looks at you and says, are you guilty or non-guilty? Are you righteous or unholy? And if you and I, the only right answer would be righteous, perfectly righteous, holy, and not guilty or else we are in big trouble. And the way we get to the righteous is for God to justify us, to declare us who are actually guilty, to declare us righteous, to say, you guilty sinner, st the stamp of, of the judge or the gavel hitting it and saying, not guilty, but not only not guilty, perfectly righteous. Now, what would you think if you were in a courtroom, if a judge was up there and a really guilty, vile offender of the law came in there and the judge said, listen to all the evidence, or went through this whole thing and then said to the guilty sinner, not guilty, you are completely righteous. 
you're a bystander, you're going to go, he's a terrible judge. That's the only way a just God can declare not guilty, completely righteous, enter the joy of being my children, is if the justice of God is satisfied or taken care of in another way. And that's what verse 34 is about. And verse 34 is the second, in a sense, pillar to our joy and our assurance that he loves us and he will not let any charge go against us condemned at one time condemned sinners. See what he says? Who is to condemn? Who is to declare us guilty and ready for punishment? Paul said in 8.1, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in verse 34, he says, who is to condemn? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because Christ Jesus is the one who died. And I know that we're not there. We're not taking the time to do all that, but I, I, I plead with you, will you just park in Romans 3 and 4 this week or this month? Because in Romans 3 and 4, Jesus, in 5, it says that Jesus died in order to satisfy, or the word is propitiate, God's justice, so God could still be a just judge and still declare us innocent and, ju- and righteous. And, and so the point here is, if God declared you justified, who is any accuser to say anything? And we're to say, God declared me just. Get away, Satan. Get away, accuser. And in here, Jesus died. Jesus died for my sins. He satisfied the wrath of God. It says in Romans 5, 8, 9, God showed his love for us. That's God the justifier. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood how much more will be saved from the wrath of God? Or 1 Corinthians 15 says in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, even Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, you're still futile. Your faith is futile and you're still in sins. Now that's the point of Paul bringing up more than that, he was raised. You'd be in your sins if he wasn't raised. But because he's raised, you're not in your sins anymore. He actually took care of your sin problem and you're declared righteous. More than that, he's at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 12 through 14 says that Christ offered a single sacrifice and now he's sitting at the right hand of God and he'll make all his enemies at the foot, his footstool. What he's saying is Jesus died and he rose again. He's not on this earth anymore. His spirit is, his people are. Jesus is at the right hand forever reigning. He's in charge. Someday he will return and he'll let that charge spread in a new and glorious way over the entire world. But right now he's still in charge. All authority and all power has been given to him in heaven and in earth. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And he, more than that, he hasn't stopped doing good for you and me if we're his children. It says he is interceding for us. 
I don't think everyone here knows what that means. He's interceding for us. It's as though he is there, he is there right before the Father going, praying for us. Except it sounds praying. He's, he's saying to the Father, you, 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 you gave them to me, and my blood purchased their redemption. They're clean because they're covered with what I did on the cross. And, Jesus, and the Father looks at the Son and says, I will never turn anyone away based on that argument. Based on that argument that the, the Son, the, di- the, the crucified Son, the raised Son, the reigning Son, and the perfect mediator Son who comes between us and God, not because God hates us, they took care of perfect righteousness and justice and justifying us, condemned sinners. So what then shall we say to these things? We should say, he loves me. Be humble. I don't deserve this grace. Others need this grace. I I want to... Honor this grace, this love, by sharing it with others. I remember when I was 12 years old, it was probably 11 because we hadn't moved into our new house yet. By the way, my parents are here this morning. They're able to see Barnabas get baptized, but they're here. And, and I remember around 11 being in the basement of our house. That's where my bedroom was at the time. And I would lay in bed and go, am I really saved? I'd already been baptized. I was wondering, I would doubt whether if I died, would I really go to heaven? And I'd ask my dad that, and probably several times. And I don't remember all the conversations, but this is what I remember at one point in, in a conversation. My dad didn't say, Daniel, yes, you asked Jesus in your heart. He pointed me to the God who justifies and keeps his promises. He pointed me to Jesus who is faithful and died on the cross for my sins. And really it made me question, are you trusting that God? Do you believe and take him at his word? That is the grounds of our assurance, not our perfect faith or the remembrance if we were sincere enough back then. And oh, I pray that we, all of us, would live our lives as assured justified sinners who are being changed by the grace of God, knowing that he is for us and his son died and rose and is at the right hand and is praying for us. And our name is written in his hands as one of the hymns says. And he never turns away the son when the son comes and reminds us, reminds the father, the judge, what he has done for us. What a glorious hope that we have. What a confidence that we can have. No wonder that at the end of Romans 12, or at the beginning of Romans 12, but the end of Romans, Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. It's mercy that you will offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to me. Based on what he's done for you, what would be more reasonable than you, you give yourself to the one who loved you and is for you and has given himself for you? Why would you not do that? Why wouldn't you even 
to the point of being persecuted and to take up the cross and follow me, why wouldn't you do that? Oh, this, this life is, will soon be passed. As the saying goes, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last or only what's done by Christ for us will last before the throne of God. And God is preparing joy everlasting. Oh, that we as a people, and if you aren't part of his people yet, he welcomes you today. May we, may we embrace the cross of Christ. Not, not literally a cross. This, this holding this doesn't mean anything. We don't grab icons or pray to these things. We have a cross behind that, that screen. The cross is a symbolism of the good news of what God did for us, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life because God justifies the sinner who actually believes what seems too good to be true, that God saves us only based on what Jesus did, and we just receive it freely. So, oh, would you receive it freely if you haven't? And when you, when you have, thank God for it. Sing like a justified sinner in just a few minutes. We're going to sing two songs. In fact, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I'm going to invite those getting baptized to go get ready. They can go out the hall, and, and this is we're going to sing a song of our security. Jesus is the anchor of our soul. And then we're going to have the baptism. And then we're going to end by singing, All I Have is Christ. And oh, I pray that we'll sing that as a a testimony of what he has done for us. Oh God, would you help us and help those that are here that need assurance or need salvation. And oh God, I pray that you would bring great joy and growth to Barnabas and Kendra and Trinity and Ava as they rejoice and they obey you and follow you in baptism this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.